Amen. How many of you love to be here today in the presence of the Lord? I want to begin a series today entitled, It's Time to Rebuild. And I want to share a little bit about where this came from. Um, A few weeks ago, I had a dream, and in that dream, I was standing back there Uh, behind those doors, looking in the window into the sanctuary. And there were just a few people milling around at the time. And as I was peering in through the window, out of my periphery, I saw this strange-looking armadillo-like creature with a long, pointy tail. This was my dream. Come lurking in from the back corner, making its way up toward the front of the church where there was a young family seated with some children. I think it was, a, actually it was a single mom with some little children. And I remember my dream feeling helpless like I couldn't open the door because I wanted to go in and warn the people or scare this creature away. And before I could actually get through the door, it had made its way up to that family and kind of... Um, surprised them, startled them. The kids were kind of screaming out. The mom picked up one of the, the little children, and, and by that time, I had made it up front. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> and, uh, <clears throat> and so, <clears throat> excuse me. You good? Talk amongst yourselves while you take a drink. <clears throat> so, as... The creature made its way up front. I finally made it up, and then it scurried up onto the stage toward the back of the stage. And uh, there was a set of stairs there. Not these stairs, but a different kind of looking stairs. Stairs leading up, stairs leading down, and it began to go up the stairs. And then it noticed a little girl standing on the stairs. And it saw that little girl, and it turned and went down the stairs. And by that time, I had made it up to the set of stairs. And I watched it disappear into the darkness. You know how dreams are, right? So the next scene, (laughs) I'm looking at a brick wall. I'm just looking at this big, giant brick wall. And I don't know if you remember, it wasn't this wall, but for our Christmas production, we had a brick building over here. And... um, that was supposed to represent the church, but there was, no, there was no window in it. And as I looked at this brick wall, all of a sudden it broke apart into four different pieces from top to bottom. And then, just all of a the sudden, they just all fell to one side, and there was exposed another brick wall behind it. And the feeling I had in the time, you know, you have a feeling sometimes in a dream or when you wake up, there's a feeling. And the feeling I had was that the brick wall that fell was a facade. It wasn't real. But that the one behind it was. Now, bookmark that that thought just for a second. A few weeks before that, on December the 21st, I was in my morning devotions, and I was reading something like this. It's in Isaiah chapter 64, 
verse 4. It says, and they shall rebuild the old ruins. They shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. And as I was reading that, as I was reading Isaiah 64, 4, when I read that, I had this sense, these words. I didn't hear an audible voice, but I heard these words. It's time to rebuild. It's time to rebuild. That's, that was, and if you remember, uh, there's been a lot in the news about Build Back Better. Anybody heard anything about Build Back Better? The president's agenda. And, um, and by that time, a lot of talk was it's not going to happen they're not going to pass it. It's not going to go through. And this has nothing to do with politics, but I, I had this strong impression in my spirit that it's time to build back better in the most important way concerning the kingdom of God. That was the, that was the strong sensation I had. And I wanted to kind of say all that to set this up because that brings us to the book of Haggai in the Old Testament. If you have your Bibles, you may want to turn there. I'm going to be looking at it. I will bring up. But today I want to talk about it's time to rebuild. And I specifically want to talk about out of the book of Haggai that we need to reset our priorities. If we're going to rebuild, we, the people of God, have got to realign our priorities to the things of God. And this brings us to the book of Haggai. Now, if you have a hard time looking for Haggai, just go to Zephaniah. It's right after Zephaniah. Or if you're confused, it's right before Zechariah. But if you get to the Z's, you know you're close. Amen. I want to read this, I want to read this passage to you guys. Haggai chapter 1. It says, in the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shatil, governor of Judah, to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, this people says, the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came to Haggai, the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses, and this temple lie in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much, and bring in little. You eat, and you do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but you are not warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring the wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. And then we go to chapter 2, beginning at verse 4. And he continues and he says, yet now be strong, Zerubbabel says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord, and work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts, according to the word that I coveted with you when you came out of Egypt, 
so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of the nations, of all nations. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Silver's mine, gold's mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. That's the reading of God's word. So let's get ready to get into his word. Amen. Father, I invite you now to come and have your way in these next few moments. I pray for a special touch upon every one of our hearts to hear the word of the Lord, to hear the word of the Spirit today. Give me grace to say it, and I pray grace for every one of us to receive it today in Jesus' name. Amen. The little book of Haggai, it's really small. It's only 38 verses long in two short chapters. It's small, but it comes with a powerful punch. It's a great little book. The year was 520 B.C., and about 16 years earlier, in 536 B.C., there were um, about 50,000 people that were released from Babylonian captivity. And when they came back to Israel, they came back with a purpose, a God-ordained purpose for them was to go back to your homeland and to begin to rebuild the temple and restore temple worship there. So when they went back, they were excited. They were free. They were back home again. And they were there with purpose. And they had, they had uh, you know, they, they knew what they were supposed to be about. And as they began to launch out in the work of God, they, uh, they got about a year into it, and, and the work was difficult. It was taking a little longer than they had, and had anticipated. There was some infighting going on. There were some outward difficulties that they were facing. And in the process of all of that, they kind of gave up on the work, and they stopped working on God's house. They got as far as getting the uh, altar built and the foundation laid, and then they just stopped. And rather than doing what God wanted them to do, they started doing their own thing and living for themselves, building their own houses, and just kind of living life on their terms. And it's into this situation that Haggai steps. He comes forward for now, for about 15 years, nothing about building or establishing the kingdom of God or rebuilding the temple has been going on. It's been put on hold, on the back burner. And what's been happening in the heart of the people, if you will, is that uh, they have become spiritually complacent or apathetic. To put it in New Testament terms, they had forsaken their first love or they became lukewarm. And so Haggai shows up by inspiration of God. He, he's there. God has moved upon his heart to bring a word to the people, to say to them, listen, I know what you're doing right now, and I've been waiting a long time for you to turn yourself around. But the waiting is over. And it's time to get back to your purpose. It's time to get on with your mission. You've 
been through a difficult time, you've been through some struggles, you've been through some hardship, and it's, it's kind of uh, disoriented you, and it's disillusioned you, and it's discouraged you, and it's even divided you. But it's over now, and I want you to get back to rebuilding my house. I want you to get back to the purpose for which I have called you and destined you as my people. Get back to your rebuilding. And so essentially what Haggai's message is, if you're going to get back to building the house of God, you're going to have to get your priorities back in order. Because your priorities are out of order. That's the message of the Holy Spirit. That's the message of the prophet of God. That your priorities are, have been out of whack. And that has put God's business on hold while your business continues on. And it isn't that your business is evil business. But God's business is more important business. He says, I want you to get back to it. And if you're going to get back to it, you got to reestablish your priorities in your life. You've got to reset the priorities in your life. And church, we have been through the last couple of years, we have taken a major hit in the church. Now, I don't want to sound hyperbolic or anything like that, but it feels like we were like the children of Israel in a way we were carried off into COVID captivity. And it distanced us and it discouraged us and it ultimately disillusioned us there are so many people jumping ship where it concerns the kingdom of god people wanting to get out of the ministry there's no there's no way to explain it other than it is a work of a creature that looks like an armadillo with a long pointy tail when, I was, when Bob Sorge was here a few weeks ago, I went out to lunch with him, and we were talking, and I, you know, he travels all over the world and all throughout the nation, and he speaks in various churches, and I was asking him, I said, what, what is your take on the state of the church? You're, you're out there, you're traveling all over the nation, you're meeting pastors, going to churches large and small, and you know, Bob doesn't normally when you're with him he doesn't talk he tries to save his voice because it's very painful for him to talk and so he always writes down his notes and we were sitting there over a dinner and he I said what, what's your take on the church and he he thought for a moment and then he scribbled down something and then he turned the paper toward me and he said I fear that COVID has put a spell on the church and something about those words just really resonated in my spirit. Like I, I could identify with that. I know it sounds like strange terminology to use the word spell, but sometimes there's really no other way to explain the things of, of, the, of the works of darkness that happen when there's an attack on God's purpose and God's will and God's kingdom. It's a work of the enemy. And... So we've been going through this, and this has been really hard. And, and people who assess these kinds of things, they study these kinds of things, are saying that, you know, we, we're don't, we don't think the church is going to bounce back. And it's not going to bounce back to the way that it was. Here's a newsflash. 
it's probably not supposed to. Walls had to fall. Some things that we thought were the real deal were just facades. And so they had to split apart and fall down. But there is a real wall, there is a real kingdom, there is a real work, there is a real building that God says, I want done now. And it's time to rebuild where it concerns the kingdom of God. It's time. But if we're going to do it, this is practical. It means we have to get our priorities back in order. Because if anything has happened over the last couple of years, it's kind of disrupted the priorities of our lives where it concerns the things of God. And so I want to talk about this today, this idea. If we're going to rebuild, we're going to have to realign our priorities. And if we're going to do that, I just have, I want to pull out, I want to kind of unpack this little book a little bit, and I just want to pull out some simple things that I see in there that I think are really important for us to reset the priorities of our lives from our things to the things of God. We got to stop making excuses. Number one, stop making excuses for why we're not doing the things of God. We're going to have to stop making excuses for why we're not involved in what God wants us to be involved in. The prophet showed up and he said, these people say, the time has not come to build the house of God. And then he turns around and says, interesting, there's no time for my house, but you got time for your house. You don't have time for the, my kingdom, but where it concerns building up your kingdom, boy, you got all the time in the world. It isn't a time issue. It's a priority issue. This means that we are saying it's, a, it's an excuse. We're saying, I don't have time. And if you remember, he went on and he says, you sow much, but you bring in little. You drink, but you're never, it, you're never quenched. You eat food, but you're never satisfied. You put on clothes, but you're never warm. You earn wages, and you only have holes in your pockets. Because you think that you have all these excuses. Well, I've got I've to work. I've got to do this. I've got to have pleasure. I've got I've to do all of these things. And he says, it leaves you wanting. Why? Because your priorities are out of order. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, uh, you'll have to skip that quote. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and that everything else that you really want in your life or you think that you have need of, those things will be added to you. But you got to get your priorities in order and do my stuff. My stuff, my kingdom, the Lord says, is really important. See, what happens to us is when we get this backwards, we live our lives in subtraction and not addition. Jesus said, seek my kingdom First, not second, not fifth, not tenth. First. Come on now. <laughs> Do you want me to stop? I'm not gonna. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. 
than all the other things that we get so consumed with and we think are so important, those things will be added to you. But if I don't seek the kingdom of God first and I seek my stuff first, then all the important things or the things that I think I have need of, they just subtract. They just fall through. He says you earn wages only to have it fall out of your pocket. You clothe yourself and you're never warm. You eat and you're never satisfied. What's the problem? It's a priority issue. You're putting yourself first and not my kingdom. Amen. Are we good? Stephen Covey, one of the great non-Christian theologians, said, most of us spend too much time on what is urgent and not enough time on what is important. See, this is, this is why we make excuses for why we're not doing something. Well, I got to do this, and I got to go there, and I got to get this done. And we take all these, we major on minors. We take all these things that are really secondary, they're minor issues, and we make them urgent. I'm, I'm so consumed, and I, and, and I see everything that I have to do as urgent while I neglect the important. And then I wonder why I never feel like I'm satisfied or that my stuff is getting done. Because we're majoring on minor things. And we have all these excuses of why I can't be involved, why I can't be a part, why I can't be focused on the kingdom of God. Amen. God's calling somebody. There's an important thing, and it's called the kingdom of God. And we've got to stop making excuses. Because when we make excuses, we're just procrastinating. And when you procrastinate, you rationalize. When you rationalize, you bring desolation. He goes on in verses 9, 10, and 11. You can read it for yourself later in chapter 1. And he says, you go out looking for much, but you bring home little. And what you do bring home, I blow away. You reap what you sow. You sow into the things that don't matter. That's what we're going to reap. But then there are things that do matter. And it's things concerning the kingdom of God. If, it, if we're going to rebuild church, we have to stop making excuses for why we're not rebuilding. There's no more excuses. Amen. You want to lose weight? You got to stop saying that cake called my name. There's no... That was your own set of eyes. That cake can't talk. That was you. Amen. Anybody know what I'm talking about now? Number two, if we're going to rebuild, we're going to reset our priorities, we need to start doing what God tells us to do. First of all, we need to stop making excuses for why we're not doing it. And then, here, here's, 
I know this is rocket science, right? We need to start doing what God tells us to do. We just need to start doing what he told us to do. Start doing what God says to do. How? You start. I love, what, I love how this is what the Lord says in chapter 1, verse 8. Here's what, this is, this is the word of the Lord through the prophet. He says, go up to the mountains, get you some wood, and start building my house. That I may take pleasure in it and be glorified. How many want God to take pleasure in his work and be glorified in his house? What do you do? Get up off the couch. Go up into the mountains and get you some wood and bring it down here and start putting it together. That's what you do. It's not rocket science. You don't have to overthink it. Start doing what God said to do. This applies not only corporately for the church, this applies to every single one of us where we, need to, where we understand and we know that our bodies are a temple of the living God. And if there are some things that are out of order, I not only need to get my priorities realigned in that way by, by uh, stop excusing what's going on, but I need to start doing for myself the things that God has already made very clear that I should be doing. No more excuses. When you stop the excuses, you stop that, and you start this. Amen. Are we okay? Go up. I love it. I love that verse. Go up into the mountains, cut down some lumber, bring it down here, and put it together. Oh, I don't know. What, are we, what am I supposed to do? What are we going to do in this age, in this crisis that we're in? And what are we going to do? You know what you do? You do what God's revealed in his word. That's never changed. That's never changed. Listen, the church still has a mission. I don't care what they try to do to us. I don't care what happens in the earth. God still has a purpose in the earth today. And it is, involves every one of us in this room. Now, I'm sorry for yelling, but sometimes. We sit around sometimes, we wring our hands, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to do. Move. Here's one. Show up. Get involved. Be a part. This is not a spectator sport. All of you online, thank you for watching. Get over here. We love you, but that's not church. That's not building the kingdom of God. I don't mean any, I'm not trying to be mean-spirited. But I, this is not spectator sport. We need to start doing what God has told us to do. Do the basics. Just get involved. Start at ground zero and build from there. And you don't know what to do? Do what God has already made clear to do.
and the rest will come. But sometimes we just got to hear it. Get up into the mountains, cut down lumber. Number three, bring it down and put it together. That's how you get going. You start doing what God told you to do. Amen. After today, you're probably going to be like, give us Daniel mostly. <laughs> Here's what, I want you to look at verse 12 with me. These scriptures are so long. i go to verse 12 if you would. It says, then Zerubbabel, this, this guy, he's got to say this every time. The son of Shethiel, Joshua, the son of Jehozadak. Just so nobody misunderstands who I'm talking to right now. The high priest, with all the remnant of the people, watch, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And, next verse, the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the presence of the Lord. Whoa. God said, go up and cut down some lumber, bring it back and put it together. And the people said, yes, sir. After 15 years of building their own houses and letting God's house lie in ruins and go nowhere, the prophet of the Lord shows up, God shows up, and his word is given, and it suddenly it just moved the people. And they obeyed. They, listen, they obeyed the voice of the Lord. There's no other... Daniel said it in the transition. There is really no other answer than, yes, Lord. There's not another answer when it comes to the kingdom of God and the will of God and the purpose of God and the call of God and the destiny of God upon our lives. You can fuss with him. You can drag your feet about it. But listen, ultimately, you've got to obey. Obey. They obeyed, and I love that last phrase, the people feared the presence of the Lord. The true fear of God is not being scared of God. It's being, it's having such a reverence for what God tells me to do, I wouldn't want to do anything else other than that. I'm afraid to find out what would happen if I didn't obey. Kind of like that, almost. Like, if I don't do what God says, I'm afraid of the outcome. It's not being a scared of God, it's, it's actually having a reverence for God so much so that when God says something, I'm going to do it. And the Bible said the fear of the Lord, that's the beginning of understanding and wisdom. You want to get ahead in life? Listen to God and tremble at his word. Amen. Tremble at his word. Obey him. And so the people obeyed. And then the next verse, I, I don't think I have it up there. I'm not sure if I have it up there. Do I have verse 13? Is that it? Yeah, that's it. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people saying, I am with you, says the Lord. Turn to somebody and say, tell them, God's with you. Go ahead and tell them that. Next verse, Sherry. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, here we go again, the son of governor, okay, the spirit of Joshua, the son of the high priest, and the spirit 
of all the remnant of the people. Look at that. Do you know when you start obeying God, watch this. The Bible says they obeyed the Lord. In fact, if you watch the dates, because there are clearly marked three dates that the word of the Lord came in September, October, and December, if you put it in our years. From the day they heard that first word, it was only, it was less than three weeks and they started building that temple. They got their act together quick, right? So they obeyed. And when they obeyed, here's what God did. He said, I'm with you. And then the Bible said, he stirred. If you go back to that previous, show that word again, Jerry. The Lord stirred up the spirit. Some people are like, well, I'll start doing something when God moves me. When God moves on me. You got it backwards. You're waiting for God to stir you so you'll move. God's waiting for you to move so he can stir you. Amen. When they obeyed, the Lord stirred, and that word stirred in the Hebrew language literally means to open the eye. Some of us are spiritually asleep on the job. We're not fully awake. We're not fully sensitized to the surroundings and to the environment. We're like zombies. We walk around. We show up. But we're devoid of life. And I'm, I, again, I'm not trying to be mean-spirited, but look, there are times when we need to get it clear. And the Lord, when they decided that they were going to obey the Lord's word, in that obedience, God touch their heart in a special way. It's almost like the Lord is saying, when you decide that you're going to take that first step, I'm right there with you and I'll give you the energy to do it, the grace to do it, the passion to do it. Sounds a lot like when James said, draw near to God and God will draw near to you. It's not like God is playing keep away, but the Lord is saying to us, if you will take a step of faith and go after it, I'm right there and I'll give you the energy to do it. Come on now. There's no sitting around saying, well, I'm waiting for God. Give me a feeling. God's waiting for you to get on with it. And you know what I've learned about God? And I think maybe you probably have too. He can wait longer than you and me. <laughs> he's not in a big hurry being he lives outside of time. Which is not fair. He has one up on us. Or maybe a little bit more than that. That reminds me of that scripture in Acts chapter 5 verse 32. Won't come up on the screen but he says. The Lord gives the Holy Spirit to them that obey. Man, you can't get around that. When you obey. There's more grace. So see, there's no excuses. Well, I don't, I don't know if I got it in me. You don't have it in you, but God will give you the Holy Spirit. Amen? Take it from somebody who's in this thing. I don't have it in me. I want to quit every day. <laughs> 
Well, not every day. I'd say every other week. Maybe every week. I can't. You got to catch me on a certain day. How do, I, how do I keep showing up? The goodness of God, the grace of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't know any other way to do it. I praised myself happy here today. Out of Egypt, is that the name of it? That was my song today. That was the one that touched my heart. Keeps me going. Amen. Amen. So, if we're going to get our priorities back in order, we've got to stop making excuses. Start obeying what God tells us to do. Number three, number three, we need to serve as a team player. Verse 14 says, chapter 1, verse 14 should be up there. It says, and they, uh, all the remnant, the Bible says, all the remnant came and worked on the house of the Lord. Every one of them. Everybody showed up. Zerubbabel showed up. Joshua showed up. Haggai the prophet showed up. And everybody in town showed up. And they all put their hand to the work. And I've already said this, but I'm going to be redundant. This is not a spectator event. The church, the kingdom of God, is not a few do it all and the rest of us get blessed. Or maybe we get blessed or maybe we don't get blessed. No, that's not what this is about. This is about all hands on deck. Everybody takes a place. Everybody plays a position. You're a part of the team. And as the old saying goes, teamwork makes the team work. That's the way it works. Some people sit around and criticize what isn't working. Have you ever ran into somebody like that on a team or just in church or in life in general? They always got a word about, well, that doesn't work. Oh, that's really dumb or that's really stupid. And, and, and we, they criticize what's not working when really the problem is they're not involved. I'm going to be God. I'll wait. <laughs> We're a team. And the way that God's house gets built and His glory is manifest is when the whole remnant is on board. Everybody. See, some walls have fallen. They had to fall. They needed to fall to expose what's real. And what's real is not to sit around and watch other people do it. It's for everybody to be involved. We're a team. We're a family. We're, we're a body for Pete's sake. The interconnectedness of our, our hearts, it, it matters to the kingdom of God. And so we need to go, we, it's time, it's time to rebuild. And if we're going to rebuild, we've got to get our priorities in order. And if we're going to do that, we've got we've to, hey, I'm on the team. I'm not here to just kind of 
grace, you know, a Sunday morning, you know, grace the world with my presence. I'm, I'm here to do the will of God. Period. Amen. There's an old acronym that we used to have that, or we used to have around here that goes the T-E-A-M. Team means together. Everyone accomplishes more. Together, each one of us accomplish more. So if we want to accomplish more, if we want to see more happen in our time, that means each one of us have to be on board. Amen. And, but see what happened in Haggai's time was everybody had their own agenda. They had their own vision. This is my vision. This is my vision. This is my vision. You know what you have when you have a multiplicity of visions? You have division. But there is a vision for the kingdom of God. The will of God. Where we come together and we do this thing together. Amen. Amen. That's why we really want to invite you guys to come out and be with us this next Saturday for Vision 2022. Because some walls have fallen. And we don't, we haven't cornered the market on what we're supposed to do. We don't, we, we're, we're going like this half the time. Like, okay, I think it's this way. I felt that. Um, this is happening. Maybe this is, you know, and we're at a place right now where what need. What, what are we trying to keep up that we need to let go of? Come on. What are we trying to sustain that needs to, to go? And so, so we're inviting you. Come out and be with us and learn this with us. And we did this a few years ago. And I want to show you how powerful this was. We had a bunch of young married couples that didn't have babies yet. <clears throat> and so we... We use that, utilize that time to, you know, because we were talking about church growth. You know, you need to have babies. That's the best kind of church growth. And all of a sudden, these young couples are having kids. So if you're looking for more children in your life, come out. Next time. No. No, don't. It, that won't work. But we do, need, we do need to birth some things in the spirit. And... We need to get a vision. Amen. The final thing that I want to pull out of this, this book is if we're going to get our priorities in order, we have to stick with this thing called ministry, the church, the kingdom of God, no matter what happens. We've got to stick with it. There's just no quitting the kingdom of God. You can quit this church, but you better be a part of some church. Amen. You just can't jump ship and be all like, I'm out. You know what Paul called people that jump ship? Castaways. They said he, he said they suffered shipwreck. They're stranded out there. They don't need to be out there stranded like that, but that's what they did because they jumped ship. Amen. And so we got to stick with this. And so this is what... Haggai basically deals with 
he, he's dealing with people. They, they no sooner begin the building process than they started to get disappointed with what they were doing. And I want you to see this in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. It says, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now in comparison with it? Is it not in your eyes as nothing? Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, and be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord, and work, for I am with you. See, some old-timer showed up and said, oh, what we're trying to do here, man, this cannot compare to 10 years ago. This can't compare to 15 years ago. This can't, what we're trying to do here can't compare to the way it used to be. And there's nothing more discouraging than to see what you're doing now thinking it will never compare to things of the past. Well, I want to tell you something. God is the God of the now. And I'm thankful for what he did in the past, but God does new things now. And he wants to do new things, but if we're going to be disappointed with the work all the time, and we're going to think, oh, this, this, isn't, this isn't panning out. This doesn't look like what I had imagined it should be. Listen, just keep building, because the Lord said, the glory of this house will be greater than that glory. And you know what he was referring to? Jesus stood in that house. He never stood in Solomon's house. And he was saying, what you're building now is going to house the God of glory someday. Solomon could only dream of it. Maybe it didn't look like Solomon's, but it didn't have the glory of Solomon's either. And so we got to stop living in the past of the way things were 10, 15, 20 years ago around here. And we've got to see that what we're doing now, it's different. Some walls have fallen. Things are falling away. Hey, maybe they had to. But there's something behind that that God wants done. We always, we love it when we hear, God is doing a new thing. How many of you love that? Every new year, God's doing a new thing. He's doing a new thing. Go on. Anybody here like that? You know I'm setting you up, don't you? You're like, I'm not going to answer that. I'm going to wait to see where you're going with this. Jesus said, you can't put new wine into old wineskins. If you want new wine, you've got to have new wineskins. God says, I'm doing a new thing. Oh, new wine. This is going to be great. Give me that wineskin. Wait a minute. I like this wineskin. This is my favorite flask. I really, I've grown accustomed to this. Just give me the new wine. Lord says, I can give you new wine, but I got to give you a new container for it. Wait just a minute now. I'm really comfortable with this container. I like the way this container feels. I like the way it looks. It fits right, really good in my hand. The Lord said, if I'm going to do something new, i got to rip that out of your hand. You know what Jesus said about that passage later? He said, no one, no one says the new wine is better. They always say that the old wine tastes better. He, that's not a positive thing, what he's saying. What he's saying is, 
Everybody thinks the way it used to be was better. And that's a problem if we're going forward. Amen. I got I to gotta land this plane. Come, Julie, my precious, my precious. <laughs> I never even watched that movie, so I don't even. <laughs> they no sooner got started building this thing, and they already were discouraged. And I love, in so many words, I don't have time to go into it, but the prophet shows up and basically, through a series of analogies, says, you know, you can't undo 16 years of doing nothing in a matter of three months of working. It's going to take a little while. Hang in there. God is good. In fact, he referred back and he said, the Lord said through the prophet, he said, I was with you. I made a covenant with you when I brought you through the Red Sea. I never left. You quit, but I never left. You got discouraged, but I never left you. My spirit is still upon you. You don't have to be afraid. I haven't quit on you even if you've quit on me. I want to I read these final words to you out of chapter 2. I think it should come up on the screen. It's in chapter 2 beginning at verse 20. This is the word of the Lord. Again, the word of the Lord came to Haggai on the 24th day of the month saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, Watch this. I will shake heaven and earth. I'm going to shake things up. I got to. We had to go through the shaking, church. We have to go through shakings. The Lord said, I'm going to shake heaven and earth, and I will overthrow. What's, what's, he, what's he doing? He's overthrowing dominions. It doesn't look like it or feel like it at the time, but he's, he's into warfare in another realm that you and I don't imagine or understand. He said, I will overthrow thrones the, the throne of kingdoms. I will destroy the strength of the Gentile kingdoms. I will overthrow the chariots and those who ride on them. The horses and their riders shall come down. Everyone by the sword of his own brother. What that simply means is I will cause armies to turn on themselves. I will cause the enemy to turn on himself. I will leave him in confusion and derision. I will overcome him. I will confuse him. Hallelujah. How many of you know you're on the winning team? Come on now. And then watch these words. In that day. Everybody say in that day. I think that's today. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, my servant, son of Shetil, says the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you. Zerubbabel was in the group that laid around for 15 years. But God said, I chose you. You're my man. You're my woman. You're like a signet ring. You're, you're, you're like a ring on my finger. You have significance to me. In other words, everything I put my hand to, everything that I'm doing, you're right there with me. I'm doing it with you, through you, 
for you and by you. Hallelujah. Church, it's time to rebuild. But we got to get our priorities back in order. We've got to reset, realign. And it's time to start over. It's time to, to build, to rebuild the kingdom of God. And that means everybody's got to be involved. Everybody's got to be on board. Amen. Come on, let's stand together. Could the prayer team come? I don't want to belabor this any longer. Listen, if you're here today and you need God to touch you, you need a touch from God. I felt this earlier before the service started. I just, I just felt like to make that appeal, if you need a touch of God upon your heart, you can come up here and these good people will pray with you. They'll pray about anything. But if you need a supernatural touch of God, I believe that the hand of God is evident. I think the hand of God will be manifest here today. They don't need to make a big show of it. They don't need to know all of the dirty details of anybody's life. They can just, they can just stretch forth their hand and God will be reaching through their hand to touch your heart. So when I'm done praying, you can leave or you can come and receive up here at the altar. So Lord, we thank you for your presence here today. Thank you for the word of your spirit. And I pray, Lord, that we would not allow this word to slip away from our thoughts, our memory, our heart. Holy Spirit, I, I said it in the only way I could, but I know you speak beyond human ability. And God, I pray that you would impress upon each one of our hearts exactly what we need to know, what we need to hear, and the next step we need to take. We love you, Jesus. To your name be glory. Amen.